instance, if a single variable that will have a greater impact on your brand than anything else is to show up every day no matter what. And just don't miss. Hello, welcome to the Leverage 3 podcast. This is the show that helps you leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. I'm Craig Shoemaker, and today's guest is Roeth Kalior. Roeth is a Twitter brand strategist who helps CEOs and founders build winning brands. Roeth, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you. And uh, we have a mutual uh, connection in between us that, that uh, did the introduction. And that's like the coolest thing about being active on social media is the people that you meet and the introductions that come from that. Oh, yeah. Dude, Twitter has been absolutely life-changing when it comes to meeting like great people. And wouldn't be where I am today without the great Twitter community. Right. And so for, for those who might not know, where are you? Like you've had a little bit of an interesting journey here in the last, I would say, few years. Yeah. Yeah. So primarily on Twitter, trying to expand to other social media platforms, but that's still kind of a work in progress. Uh, yeah, man, it's been, it's been an interesting ride. A lot of like, used to be a very heavy, like course consumer myself. And a lot of like studying a lot of like what the grades have been doing. And it's great to finally be able to put that into practice and see the results that I've been able to see. That's very cool. So your specialty is in, in helping people with brands. And it's, it's funny because I've, I've had like a number of conversations lately on the show about building brands and personal brands. And so the cool thing about what we've talked about is we're going to kind of get into to some of the, the meat here. But I'm curious, how would you just describe like what is a brand? Yeah, man. So the way I like to see it is like a brand is a promise. So everyone's brand, like your brand has to stand for something. And so when you are positioning yourself as a brand, you're positioning yourself as someone that is reliable for some particular thing, which is what gets people to come back to you time and time again. And so if you have a brand, it's a promise that you are making to the person that you are trying to capture the attention of. And the strength of your brand is completely centered around your ability to keep that promise to other people. And so every testimonial case study that you collect, every bit of content that you put out there into the world, every interaction that you have with other people, everything revolves around making sure that people believe 110% that you are someone that can keep that promise. And so the best way to do that is every time you interact with someone, you just keep the promise. And every time you fail to keep that promise, your brand strength goes down a little bit. And every time you keep that promise, and especially every time you get proof that you have kept that promise, your brand strength goes up. So promises, that, that's an interesting concept. So when you're, how do you establish the promise that you want to keep? You know, the good news about that is you can go with whatever promise that you want. At the end of the day, it's up to you. It's a free world. But typically, the types of promises that people like to make are the promises that other people will pay them money to keep. So, like, <laughs> right. I can promise you that I'm going to eat dinner tonight, but you're not going to pay me any money to do that. But if I right. promise you that I'll increase the revenue of your business by $10,000 over the next three months, you might be willing to invest some money with me to do that. And so the strength of your promise typically corresponds to what people are willing to pay for. And so 
a lot of that is you just have to experiment. You have to kind of play with it a little bit, see kind of what is that sweet spot of a promise that you can actually keep and a promise that you can make and still attract attention for. But at the end of the day, right. that's how people really make that decision. Okay. And do you find that it needs to be really explicit that it's more nuanced in like it's woven into everything that you say and do, or is it, is it both? You know, and it's a lot more complicated of a question that you might think, because especially as someone grows and scales their audience presence, the level of nuance required in a, in a brand's promise goes down. Like if, Coca-Cola comes to you and says, hey, we will give you a refreshing beverage. Like you're not really going to demand a lot of nuance from that. But if some soda provider that you've never heard of comes to you and says, hey, uh, I'm going to give you a refreshing beverage. You're like, okay, what's the ingredients in that? Like what kind of benefit does this offer me over Coca-Cola? Are you going to give me like a discount? Uh, are there any guarantees for me? Like, there's a lot, of new, lot more nuance that you're going to hold that brand accountable for simply because that person or that brand has no presence and you don't know if you can trust them. At the end of the day, the strength of a brand really comes down to the level of awareness that a brand has and the level of trust that people have within that brand. And so if you have a lot of trust, but you don't have awareness or you have a lot of awareness, but you don't have trust, both are about equally bad. I would say having this one slightly better where you have awareness and you don't have trust then you can kind of rebuild that trust over time. But that's really kind of how the nuance ebbs and flows with a particular brand. Hey, do you want to get parts of these interviews that aren't available anywhere else? Well, you can join the Leverage 3 email list and get access to exclusive content just for subscribers. So go on over to leverage3podcast.com and sign up today. Okay. So when it comes to being able to measure awareness, I mean, there's probably the easy things like look at the size of your audience. You know, let's just talk about Twitter for, for, for right now. You look at the size of your audience, you look at your engagement, you look at things like that. But are, are there other ways to, to measure awareness than just, you know, some of the basic metrics? Yeah. So I think another one that is definitely worth considering is the amount of impressions that you get. So you could have a very, very low audience size. You could be getting very, very little engagement, but the whole purpose of having lots of followers and having lots of engagement is to actually raise the amount of impressions that your post is getting. Tons of people every single day will look at your post and will never engage with it. Maybe they're shy. Maybe they don't want you to know that they were looking at your stuff. Maybe they're just busy and they just looked at it fleetingly. Maybe they're not logged into Twitter, which is like a pretty common thing. People just not log in, just like see your post. Maybe your post was repurposed and they clicked on the original link. There's a lot of different reasons why people might see your post but never engage with it. And so that's a great metric to look at as well. Now, it's not the only metric to look at because you could have a whole lot of impressions, but nobody likes your post because people sure. just yeah. don't agree with you or don't like you. Uh, <laughs> so there is a fine balance to play there. But yeah, I mean, impressions, followers, engagement, at the end of the day, the way I like to describe it is your brand really only has two outputs that you're really looking for. Everything else is kind of like a fancy, like a fugazi, like it's there, but it's not really like the most important thing. Followers, engagement, a lot of those things, even impressions to a certain extent, 
a lot of these things are kind of like vanity metrics. Like they make you feel really good about yourself, but they're not actually improving your life that much. And so the two things that I look for when I'm evaluating the strength of a brand is the quality of relationships that a particular individual has and the amount of money that they're making. And I know money's not everything, but boy, it tells a lot of a story. And so if a particular brand is making a lot of money and they're extremely well-connected, you see people on podcasts with very well-connected people and stuff like that, then the assumption that I automatically make is this person has a strong brand presence. I mean, you look at someone like Alex Ramosi, who has like 350,000 followers, and you look at another like anonymous platitude account with 500,000 followers, it's like, Formosi has a stronger brand because of the quality of his relationships and the amount of money that he's making. And I would even go so far as to say the money is actually a byproduct of the quality of the relationships. And so at the end of the day, the brand really, the strength of a brand, it really comes down to, at least from an output perspective, to the quality of the relationships that you can get. And so the best thing that you can do with a brand is to leverage it as essentially a networking tool or at least a pseudo networking tool in order to connect with the people that are going to improve your life, whether that's through additional business, whether that's through mentorships, whether that's just through advice. There are many forms that that can take, but the important thing is going to be for that, for you to use it to build those relationships and to improve your life through those relationships. So yeah, I totally hear what you're saying about being able to measure things uh, with with money because like basically that's like nobody's out here just doing this for our health or just just want to do it for free. I mean, otherwise, I, I think we'd spend uh, time at the beach, maybe hang out with our our family, you know, more often. Um, but one thing that that Hormozy talks about is that the longer you delay an ask, the bigger ask that you can make, and so. Like, where do you see that balance being between wanting to establish those relationships, wanting to give value, and then being able to say, okay, well, maybe it's time to consider monetizing? Yeah. So, wait, see, brand is kind of a long-term game. So, like, if your goal, like, you can still brand in the short term, but the approach has to be very different. And so, the important question that I like to ask, like, clients of mine who have, like, who don't know where to strike that balance is how much do you want the money like now? Like that's really kind of a key question. So like, if you don't have money, then you can't really afford <laughs> to delay the ass. Like I'm just being real here. It's like a lot of people who get into the world of brand building are literally broke or they're trying to quit their job or they just, they don't have money. And so you like, if you don't have money, you need to promote like now. And like, you need to be using like, um, you need to be like promoting your stuff constantly to try to like get sales. You need to use a little bit of like FOMO to get people to like pull people towards your offer. Like you got to use whatever you can in order to get people to like pay you money and hopefully providing lots of value to those people in return. Now, if you have a little bit of money, you have a little bit of like a nest egg, then I would say delaying the ask as long as you can is very beneficial because it just makes people trust you so much more. It's like, oh, hey, this guy's not going to sell me something. Like, what? Like, when? And I, I know, like, there was like an era of time. And I know we've kind of moved away from it, so I can't like speak to it as much. But when I was a kid, 
there would be all these like TV shows that would like pop up on the screen and stuff like that. And you know, the big question you got to ask yourself is why did you, why did we all enjoy those shows so much? It's because there was this stream of dopamine that kept hitting our brain. And then if you remember, like back when people got like DVR and stuff, and they were just recording everything. They loved that because they could fast forward through the ads because every time that ad <laughs> popped up, you're just like, God, like it's such an annoying <laughs> thing to like experience. And so if you're the kind of person where like after like 30 seconds to a minute, like the ad pops up and you're like, by the way, buy my course, people are going to be like kind of turned off by that. Like it's like a, it's like a, oh, shucks moment. But if you don't have money, you have to be that person. The, the reality is, is like, you got to put food on the table. You got to pay rent. Like you have responsibilities as a like person. And a lot of people have families and they have responsibilities to take care of their family. And so going for more of that direct response approach, it does allow you to play the short-term game and it does allow you to put food on the table and get the results that you need to get. And so that is a strategy to go to. But what I guess the important part point I'm trying to drill into the audience is the longer you delay the ask, the bigger the ask can be. That is a hundred percent true. Mm. Well, and you know, what you pulled out was that, that brands in many senses equals trust and trust is, just, is not something that you can establish overnight with anyone through any medium. Exactly. Like I tell people and be like, this message, it's probably overused at this point. I pro- probably said this a million times, but the single most important thing you can do for building a brand is to be consistent because everything else, like I literally, I did like a deep analysis of this. There are tons of variables you can like tweak regarding like frequency of engagement, post quantity, whether you add in like paid traffic to spike boost. Like there's so many variables you can play around with, but the single variable that will have a greater impact on your brand than anything else is to show up every day no matter what and just don't miss like if you don't miss a single day you're going to blow out people who like post 30 times in a week and then just never post again so (laughs) like the goal is to like build from a base of consistency and then just progressively add more intensity dude the same thing is like for the gym like it's like you show up to the gym and you work out like regularly and you see results because you stick to a workout routine over an extended period of time. You don't see results because you worked out for three hours on one day and then stopped going for the next month. And brand is like, Hey man, that worked for me. Come on now. <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's like, like brand is the same way as the gym. It's like going to the gym for money basically. Okay, there's so much to what you just said that I want to dive into. Absolutely. So, so so I don't forget. I'm going to mention them both here, and then you take whichever one you want to go first, and, and hopefully we hit on both of them. So, when it comes to experimentation, what are the variables that you like to test? What does that look like in practical terms? And in terms of authenticity, do you see authenticity as demonstrating maybe not weakness, but I I, I suppose your humanity? in terms of like, these are my struggles and th- these are the things I work through, or is it more your personality? So you pick which one you want to do first. Sure. First I'll touch on the authenticity one because that one's a lot easier okay. to answer. That's essentially, okay. <laughs> it's really all of the above. So like 
there are like there's not just one output for being authentic which is what i think makes it such a powerful tool it's like you build relatability with your audience then there's the other angle of you have gone through a certain struggle that other people don't want to go through but they still want the results of the struggle that you went through so you give them that by being gotcha. authentic you build trust with them by showing them that side of humanity so it's really kind of it's such a multifaceted thing and there's so many angles you can take with it. Um, and I think like more authenticity is like almost always better unless you're like reducing your ability to like attract clients. And that's probably not the best idea, but yeah, it's at the end of the day, it's really, it's really like a journey and it's being kind of true to yourself and being honest with your audience about, kind of what you have done, what you are capable of doing and what you were working on. And so it doesn't mean you have to like, like break down on camera or like, like open up about some like inner childhood trauma. I mean, you can, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) But what it does mean is like, if you are trying to be like a great marketer, you are trying to be like a great e-com store builder, sharing some of the struggles you are going through helps people kind of realize that you're a real person. And telling a lot of personal stories, that's also a great way to be very authentic. You tell the story of how you started your first e-com store, or you tell the story of how you helped a client grow from like zero followers to 10,000 followers, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many angles you can take that and fuse it. And if you tell the story in the right way, it really builds that trust with your audience. Now, as for the kind of your first question. So in terms of variables, there's so many variables. And if there were only, <laughs> if there was a small handful of variables, everyone would be crushing the branding game. But essentially, the way I like to simplify for people are there are four different types of levers that you want to be pulling. And so it's essentially the content lever, the distribution lever, the engagement lever, and the promotional lever. And so with the content lever, it's essentially making sure you're writing great content, making sure doing any tweaks or tests or whatever to make sure that your content is good and that it's resonating with people, which usually means holding the other three uh, pillars kind of constant while tweaking this one. And I think each of these pillars has like a different phase to test. So when you're testing that particular pillar, you want to hold the other three kind of constant so you can see how the results cross compare. With the distribution lever, it's usually getting like other people invested in your message and associating yourself with higher quality people so that you just get more eyeballs on your content. This could be just through distribution and stuff like that. With the engagement lever, it's actually getting people to engage with your content. I know engagement's not everything, but engagement does help drive impressions, which means- Sure, yeah. And so getting them to engage with their content means writing content that's actually valuable. And so tweaking the style of content and also the delivery of the content, because just because you have value doesn't mean people are going to consume it. Most people, I think there was like a study that recently showed most people don't read books past page 27. I'm sure those books have tons (laughs) of value, but if they're not packaged in the right way, people are just not going to consume them. So a lot of kind of tweaking that engagement levers, can you tweak your content to, like be delivered in a way that actually resonates with people. And then finally, the promotional lever. Can you cross promote across different platforms? Can you combine kind of paid traffic with branding? There's so many variables you can test there to really spike your brand's presence. But in terms of the variables, I think most people should be focusing on. Most people 
should be focusing on the content lever and the engagement lever. Everything else you can kind of figure out later. It's not that big of a deal. But the basis of you building a great brand is learning how to communicate with people effectively and learning how to get people on your side. And so communicating with people effectively is like a core tenet of just writing good content. And there are ways to communicate that are better than others that are not necessarily very obvious. And so like being that way and testing those things will help you get clarity on that. And then getting that engagement lever up, well, one of the best ways to do that is to engage with other creators. Showing support for other people is a great way to get those people supporting you and engaging with you. And so having that little boost and then tweaking your content delivery in the right way to also make your content easily digestible for people is also something that's very important. And doing a combination of all these things is ridiculously important in order to understand where you can improve as a content creator and how you can really elevate your skill set and your brand to the next level. So, so talk to me about some of the experiments you could do with content because content seems like one of those things where you, you just want to keep getting better and better at it. Um, you know, write more clearly, uh, basically just deliver higher quality results as you go along. So would experimenting with that be like, okay, this idea, instead of doing it as a thread, let's say a text thread, maybe I'm going to do it as an image thread or like what, what kind of things do you play with when it comes to content other than just improving your ability? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I could be here all day talking about this. There's so many experiments <laughs> to run, but I'll give you one of like the highest leverage tests that you can run that really brought me a lot of clarity when I was running it. And I think can do the same for anyone looking to start off and it touches both the content lever and the engagement lever. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone and that's essentially playing around with your thread hooks. So the thread hook, I know it's like super cliche, but it's like 80% of like the value of a thread and the receivability of the thread on the ends of like your, like your ideal customer profile. It all comes down to like how you structure that hook. And so playing around with different types of hooks, maybe you talk about the person's problem source in one of the hooks, maybe in another hook, you say something interesting that happened to you. Maybe in another hook, you list a statistic you say like 97 percent of people go through xyz and you see which ones have the highest like deliverability and then you tweak based off of that and then you figure out a strategy where you can take a particular thread hook and then convert that into something a little bit deeper and you just keep iterating on it until you come up with let's say like a hundred different formats that you enjoy and then you can use those formats forever. And there's a lot of other micro like nuance with this because the reality is as much as everyone likes to tell you that iteration is evergreen, it's not. Um, if you like find some interesting idea or some strategy that's working in a particular moment or a particular phase of your account, it might not work a year from now, it might not work two years from now. It really just varies based on what is currently working with the market right now. And marketing is literally the opposite of evergreen. It's such a dynamic <laughs> field that right. figuring out how to resonate with people is going to be a constant practice of you training your mind to adapt to these new trends. 
especially with the rise of AI, there's going to be a lot of room there for figuring out how can you leverage the tools and technologies around you to really boost the deliverability of your content and your thread hooks. Yeah, well, and and I think that some of that life cycle comes down to the fact that if you're if you're establishing your brand successfully, your relationship changes with your audience, right? So maybe the things that you did in the beginning may not work or even be appropriate as you as you mature. Exactly. Yeah, like one of the things that works really well for beginners is kind of authority by association, getting associating yourself with people farther along the journey than you. But as you get, as you become more of an authority, people are going to start asking why you're still relying on other people to boost your right. credibility and why you're not preaching your own kind of truths and your own story as a source of fuel for your audience to improve their lives. Makes sense. All right, let's, let's play some games here. Sure. All right. So I've got some hypotheticals for you. Mm -hmm. um, this one I like to call one, two, three. So you have one product. So you consider the fact that you have a, a new client that came to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they have this, this situation, this scenario that they're facing. They have one product. They have two months for whatever reason that they need to, need to be able to see results. And they're looking to three X their revenue based off this product. Now you can make up whatever context you want in order to fill in the blanks. But given these parameters, like how would you approach dealing with a client like that? Yeah. So the reality is that some clients just might not be qualified enough to get that kind of result. Like the first question I ask any client who wants to see rev gen in their business is if they have case studies. And if mm. you don't have case studies, like you're not like, that's automatically <laughs> such a big DQ because it's one of those things where like, People want to see social proof to buy from you. The reason why it's so hard for people to make money initially in their business is they don't have case studies. And so it takes that time. And then once they get those testimonials and case studies, then they can actually spiral that into seeing real results for people. And so like I would ask them questions and see if they were qualified, like case studies, um, seeing like a 3X ROI within a short time frame is also a very kind of risky proposition especially if you want to go through a branding route so what i like my first hunch if i was in a situation where i want to like 3x my roi i'm usually thinking hey um can i just like run paid traffic can i just do like more of a linear thing and lower my margins in order to like get this because and that's also a skill on its own because your, your ROI from paid traffic does not scale with the amount of ad spend. Very, very like controversial opinion, but like it doesn't. And I'm just being honest, like it doesn't. Um, there's a lot of nuance to that, but go, like trying to go the branding route as like a one punch knockout for figuring out um, like how to 3X like an ROI is usually not the solution for most people. Now the situations where it can work for people is like, if they already have case studies, if they already have like at least proof of some kind of pipeline that already exists and they have like a funnel built out because the problem here is usually it's more of a funnel problem. It's not a branding problem. And so if you want three X or ROI, you like basically what I would need to do is I need to go into your funnel and I need to 
figure out where there are inefficiencies in the funnel. And then we need to optimize those inefficiencies. And then we need to spike the traffic through your brand. And if your brand is tiny, you still like, you're not going to see an overnight spike. Like if you have a hundred followers, like the reality is you're not going to see like 5,000 people flood your website overnight. That's not possible. But (laughs) ideally what we do is we spike your brand presence. That way you get more traffic. You slowly spike the impression count. And then over that duration, if it's like a three month or two month period, towards the end of that period, you could potentially start seeing more traffic to your website. You probably put your website in like LinkedIn bio or something. And we just funnel people to the site. Uh, Alternatively, we have people soft sell on like a newsletter and then sell on the newsletter. Like that's another potential avenue. But the thing is like, it's a lot easier to optimize something that's already working, especially for spiking rev gen. If someone doesn't have any revenue generated and they're looking to, they're coming to me hoping for some kind of three X ROI without any case studies, I'm probably going to either say, Hey, like this is probably not going to work out or B work out something with like a paid traffic type solution. Because I think with paid traffic, you can make it work. Um, but a three X ROI is still a big demand on paid traffic. That's like, like you don't even get those kinds of results when you put your money into like a stock market or like a risky hedge fund. So like, right. Like for me to guarantee you more returns than like a hedge fund is quite the job. <laughs> right. Well, I, what I love about your answer is is how measured and how grounded in reality that is, you know. And this is a silly hypothetical I throw out there because, yeah, 3Xing your revenue, your ROI is 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 ridiculous. But it's it's fun to to play these games just to kind of see like, OK, well, if, if you were put in that position, what would you try and, and do? Yeah, no, I definitely enjoy it. It's very like, it is an interesting situation to think about. And I'm sure as much as we're both kind of like very grounded in reality on it, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are like looking for that 3X ROI and they're like thinking that I'm like a potential solution for them. And I'm like, I might be, but probably not. Like it, like the type of person who usually thinks like I want a 3X ROI is usually the type of person that doesn't have any case studies. Like that's typically right, the trend right. of what I've seen. Yeah. All right. So let's pick one that's uh, a little closer to the real world. So let's say you're working with an established creator who has a history of selling digital products. So this person has a funnel available um, that has a a newsletter, you know, a free newsletter that they offer to people with over 10,000 subscribers on it. And out of that subset of people, they've been able to sell to about 1,500 of those, uh, of those subscribers. So let's just say that the business has stagnated a little bit and they're looking to grow from there. What sort of advice would you offer? Yeah. So I would need a little bit of context on why it's stagnated. And so some of the questions I would start asking them is like, are your newsletter subscribers just burnt out from you pitching too much? Because you said 1500 of them have like bought from the person. So they could potentially just be burnt out. They could have just bought something from them. The other thing is, what does their social media presence look like? Like, is it, um, are they constantly running lead gen campaigns on their social media or are they taking time to nurture? I know a story of like a good friend of mine, um, Taylin, who had a client that 
wanted him to stop growth campaigns and to start running lead gen campaigns. And he made a lot of money initially, but then he just burnt out his audience because he just overdid the lead gen threads. And so one thing that I would really look, look at is what is the cycle of content this person's putting out? What type of strategies this person optimizing? And then figuring out, is there a weak point in the funnel would be kind of a next point of kind of contention. Um, what are the other digital products? Is there like a new problem that's arising? Are there any upsells that are going on? Like, I really need like a full picture of what the situation is there because without like complete information, it's very hard to figure out a course of action. However, that being sure. said, assuming I have no information and, um, and let's say this person's audience is not burnt out. Um, this person has been doing like impeccable, like nurturing. Um, then essentially we would just add another cycle of newsletter reach outs. We would, um, adapt their social media campaigns to include a little bit more, um, like more of a mix of content with like kind of a blended strategy of kind of story growth and a little bit of like selling on there. Um, we would probably um, run a little bit of like paid traffic as well on top of that to really supercharge the potential results this person could see and jack up the open rate of their newsletter in the meantime. Um, and potentially have this person do a little bit of outbound as well. Um, Cause that's also a pretty key part of driving rev gen. Now, if the person is only selling low ticket, then outbound doesn't make sense because the value of right. the unit of time is more than the value that you'd be getting paid for the digital product. But look at what they did with their past digital product launches. And then essentially try to figure out what their audience's receptiveness to that is and figuring out if there's a way to promote it over an extended period of time. Are they promoting it using proper marketing psychology? Are they having like fear of missing out? Um, are they playing on any problem sources and really tailoring it? But my guess really is telling me that if the business is stagnating, it usually means that the person is doing something wrong or they're just tiny and haven't developed yet. It's one or the other. So if they're doing something wrong, the solution isn't to go on some massive campaign to promote something. It's to take a step back and examine the entire funnel and the entire infrastructure and see what parts we can optimize and improve and play that kind of angle. Interesting. Now, what's cool, I think, is in both scenarios, you highlighted looking for inefficiencies in the, in the funnel. And, uh, I, you know, knowing that context means everything, the answer to all of this is that depends. But uh, knowing that, like what sort of things would you be looking at in the funnel to try and uncover problems? Yeah, so uh, essentially I'd wanna see like their metrics first. Um, if they're running like paid traffic or ads, I, I wanna see like what the metrics on those ads are. If they're, they have like an opt-in page, I wanna see what percentage of people click past the opt-in. If they have like, a, if they're running a VSL, I wanna see how long people are watching through the VSL and what percentage mm. of people who click onto the page actually sign up for either the email list or the course or whatever. Um, I want to see what like the quantity of refunds, um, quantity of brand advocates, which is essentially people who buy the course and leave testimonials. Like 
I want to really kind of understand the whole picture of what's going on so that I can see if it's a mid-funnel problem or not. If it's not, if it's just a traffic problem, that's easy. Then we just pump up campaigns and like, and then curate proper content in order to write, just build their brand on social and then they'll see the result there. But usually like, it's like it's like an audience burnout problem and so figuring out like what the audience is now receptive to means figuring out what problems they are experiencing in light of the new information that came from those digital products and then figuring out how to improve the existing products rather than launching a bunch of new parallel products so you've given like so much in terms of real world like tactical advice and I think it'd be fun just to kind of step back for a second and, and talk about your story and, and how you kind of, you know, where did you start getting into this and how did you get to the point that you are now? Of course, man. Yeah. So when I was starting out, so I, for a while, I was like big into like, like consuming a lot of content. I was like seeing all these people like on social, just winning super hard. And I like, I saw it, but I was kind of passively taking it all in, worked as a data scientist for many, many years. And that was kind of what I was doing. A lot of what, like the work I was doing was kind of more on like the technical side, but there was like a pull that I had to entrepreneurship, this level of like autonomy that I wanted to have in my own life. And so I essentially decided kind of like past this last September, like, Hey, I want to start a brand. Um, I want to at least put myself out there and start building an audience and figure out what to do after it. But for the longest time, I was actually super nervous of putting myself out there. I was worried there could be potential backlash, like scrutiny, like made me very, very nervous. And I was not the kind of person growing up who was very like attention seeking. And so this kind of felt like a flip of reality for me. And so I went through every single social media platform and <laughs> out of all of them, only Twitter really stood out to me as like a platform that you could be like anonymous on, but still, uh, still kind of post and get like an audience and build an audience. And so I started with that and I started kind of doing Twitter, studying Twitter. I studied a guy's guide in life math money and was kind of following his principles, saw some results, but nothing like too crazy around like November. I realized like I'd gotten like 50 followers in two months, which I was super proud of at the time, but I like I wanted to really understand the Twitter game, really grow to the next level. And so I joined a, a cohort with Art of Purpose and that really helped kind of me to learn a little bit more about like the stuff that was going on. But it like I made a lot of cool friends and stuff. And at the end, I left with like about like 150 followers, which was like a 3x, which was pretty solid. But for me, I realized, like, hey, if I want to do this, I need to really take this seriously. I really need to get to, like, that next level. And so this past, like, January, decided, hey, like, I need to go all in. And so I invest, like, 50K into, like, masterminds, communities, courses, and just growing my account. And I tell you what, man, like, you invest that kind of money, like, you really go all in. <laughs> seriously. Well, you have like 150,000 friends with yeah. you on Twitter now. So yeah, no, it's definitely paid off, but like there was a lot of hard work that went into it and kind of, of going on that entire track, man, it was, it's definitely been a journey from like, like when I started and stuff, but 
And like, you don't like people who are looking to grow don't need to spend like all that money for me. It was just, I wanted to figure it out and I wanted to learn business. And I sat down with like a list of like all of like the skills that were there. And I went down the line of each one. And I said, I wanted to figure out which one I felt would be the most valuable for like businesses and companies. And I eventually landed on marketing as like the most valuable skill that someone could bring to a company. So I'm like, hey, it's the most valuable skill someone could offer a company. I want to master that skill. And that really got me, lit, let, like led me down this path. I joined a ghostwriting cohort with Dakota Robertson as like a great start for like to really boost kind of my path. And here I am now, man. Uh, yeah. It's been, it's been a crazy journey, but loved every second of it. That is so cool. And it's, it's certainly paid off for sure. Oh yeah. So I, I like to end each show with three tactics that, uh, you know, people can take away from the conversation. I think you've probably given us like 30, but, uh, if you were to, to sum up or, or offer anything different, what would you like to share with people? Yeah. So I've, I guess I've kind of given a lot of like very granular tactics on very like specific things. So I'll take a step back with these last three, but it's essentially like the first one is kind of like, don't put it off and just start, figure out, figure your skill out later, figure out your offer later, just start building an audience. Um, every day that you're not doing it is a day that you're missing out. So I would say build it and like, and that goes along the line with my second thing. Don't build your audience around a particular offer or around a particular industry. Build it around yourself. Get people invested in you and make it a personal brand so that you have far more leverage with your audience. And if you want to switch like your industry or your career path or whatever you want to do, your audience will follow you and support you along the way if you build it around yourself. And the third step, which I've said it before, but I'll say it again, is be consistent. Like there are so many complicated variables you can tweak but the one that just has the highest ROI at the very, very top is staying consistent. If you stay consistent and you show up every day and you post and you interact with people and you just try to be involved with the communities that you want to earn an audience in, then you are going to win in the long term. And it might not be tomorrow, it might not be next week, it might not be next month, it might not even be next year, but... In 10 years, and I know everyone like hates thinking in 10-year time horizons, but in 10 years, you will win if you like show up every day and you put yourself out there regularly and you keep making that effort to be known and to bring value to the people around you. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Now, one of the easiest ways that we can stay in touch is that if you're watching on YouTube, please like this episode and subscribe to the channel if you'd like. And if you're listening to the audio version rating on your favorite podcast app, would mean the absolute world to me. So I'm Craig Shoemaker, and I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.